who could truly set his shield to rest? His throne? His mighty spear? Think on that. Remember it well, O princes. Who could lay waste to Tenochtitlan? Who dares assail the foundation of heaven? Welcome back to the Pass for Plebs. Believe it or not, this is our ninth episode. In this episode, we're traveling to central Mexico to uncover the largest Mesoamerican civilization to date, the Mexica, or more commonly known as the Aztec civilization. Last week, we finished, finally, discussing the Maya civilization. There was so much to cover, and there's so much that we didn't get a chance to cover. So this week, we'll introduce the Aztec. Little update in my life. School is up and running, uh, busier than ever, but it's very exciting. I'm getting to know all my students, which is really fun. And it's got me really realizing the reasons why I became a teacher in the first place. I love history so much. And every year I get to meet new students and I get to meet new people who are also somewhat interested in history. They always, they always tell you in teaching school, uh, when, they're, when you they train to become a teacher, think about why you decided you wanted to teach in the first place right? Your why, they call it. What, what is your why? And they always try and remind you, hey, when things get tough, remember the reasons why you became a teacher. And for a lot of people, it might be they love working with kids, right? They love children and they just, you know, it makes them feel good to help teach them things and all that. And that's, that's great. For me, it's history. I love history. Uh, we've been through that already. And I'm just reminded of that every single day that I get a chance to design lessons and bring my students through the past uh, on this like really cool journey. So yeah, I'm really excited that the year is starting up again. Um, I will say my throat's a little scratchy. <laughs> I, that's also one of the negative things. Like people come back and just, just germs, right? There's no way you can hide it. There's no way you can fight it. Um, I guess, you know, you can, you can try and mitigate it, but at the end of the day, everyone's going to get some kind of sickness and uh, it's going around. So anyway, Without further ado, let's finally dive into the Aztec civilization. So I was listening back to my old episodes from the last couple weeks on the Maya. Um, I always like to listen to my own episodes, you know, just to get feedback uh, for myself. But also, I, you know, I talk to people and, and I get feedback from my friends and, and my listeners. You know, hey, what would you think about the audio quality or, you know, whatever. What would you think about this? And one of the things that I, I think that I need to clarify about the Maya before we move on is that again, the Maya do not disappear after the collapse of their classical civilization in the 900s. Instead, the Maya, they just leave their cities, but there is a new era of Maya culture that kind of begins after the major decline. So the people are still there, and that means by the time the Aztecs show up, we're talking like the 1300s, so another 400 years later, they are in communication with each other, the Maya and the Aztecs, do talk to each other, but it's a very different group of Maya than the ones that we were talking about during the, the classical period. So I wanted to make sure that you guys understood that. So there may be some communication, but it's not the same. Okay, so let's jump right in. You guys know me. I love the when and the where to start with. So the Aztecs are located in what is today called Mexico City, the capital of Mexico. In fact, Mexico City, the cap, the current capital, is the new name of the Aztec capital, which was Tenochtitlan or Tenochtitlan. 
Either way, I think is acceptable. Um, I'm probably butchering it a little bit. But again, that's the uh, ancient name for the city. Now, the Spanish construct their city, Mexico City, right on top of the ruins of the Aztec city. It's also important to note, so the Aztec refer to themselves as the Mexica. Um, I, I'm, I know there's a different pronunciation of that. I don't know what it is, but the Mexica. And it's so it's the, that's where we get the name Mexico from. So you're going to hear me use both terms, Mexica and Aztec, interchangeably, just to keep you guys on your toes, make sure you're paying attention. Um, but in fact, so the term Aztec is more of a colonial term. It comes out much later and it's a name that's just kind of stuck. So we talk about this a lot, right? Just like the other Mesoamerican civilizations we've talked about, the name Aztec did not exist during the time of the Aztecs. All right, so it's very complicated. In schools, we learn about the Aztecs, right? That's the name. But just know they do refer to themselves as Mexica. Another interesting thing about the Aztec as we're diving in, um, it's the fact that they're actually not native to Mexico or to the area of Tenochtitlan. Instead, the Aztec actually migrate south into central Mexico um, from somewhere in the north. I've heard different historians uh, and archaeologists estimate where they think they come from. Um, some, some say like New Mexico area, western Texas, um, somewhere up there in the modern day southern United States, southwestern United States. But basically, we know that they are a kind of a, more of a nomadic type of group. So nomadic, of course, would mean that they travel. It's a group that travels a lot. They do set up settlements, but maybe they don't last. Um, they keep on the move. And usually nomadic um, civilizations, well, that's kind of an oxymoron, right? Nomadic civilization. Nomadic groups of people, I should say. Uh, nomad, nomads are usually moving with herds, right? They, they kind of migrate to hunt. They migrate um, with their animals so that they can graze them, and then they live off the animals as they move. So that's kind of what we're dealing with with the Aztec. But upon their arrival into Mexico around the 1300s, there are already people, Mesoamericans, living in central Mexico where they migrate to. Um, like dozens of different groups uh, that, that live there. And this is basically the old, I think we already talked about it, the old territory of uh, Teotihuacan. So the Aztecs are basically coming down into this land that has been really lived in for thousands of years already. Now, because uh, this area is already so crowded, the Mexica are kind of forced to settle on a lake, uh, Lake Texcoco. And I'm definitely mispronouncing that also, but that is the name of the lake that they settle on. And this is because, again, the land was just already settled, right? They didn't really have a lot of place that they could go. And so it's actually very interesting because this actually forces the Aztec to become more resourceful than their neighbors. They have to settle on the lake. So there's, they have to create their own land. We're going to talk a little more about the Chinampas and their farming methods um, and just their success with all of that, this system that they really invent on their own, as far as we know, maybe they borrowed it from you know the cultures when they got there, but it, they just they just really revolutionize it and bring it, scale it up to a whole new level. Um, and so this ingenuity, right, this this ability for the Aztec to 
take a difficult situation and use it as a strength and overcome their neighbors is something that sets the Aztec apart from a lot of the other Mesoamericans that we have learned about already. Now, as, as mentioned earlier episodes, the Aztecs speak their own language known as Nahuatl. Um, this language, they were originally writing it in hieroglyphics and pictographs. But once the Spanish show up, again, you know, we're going to talk about the Spanish a lot more in future episodes. But it's hard to ignore them because the Spanish are the ones that transcribe these languages into Latin characters. They're translating it into Latin. They're translating it into Spanish, which actually really helps us as Americans. I'm assuming you're all American. If you're not, you probably speak English. It is the kind of, you know, dominant language around the world at the moment. Um, and just the fact that the English and Spanish and Latin share a general same alphabet, it's just a great kind of thing that we have. We have access to the Nahuatl language transcribed into that alphabet. Now, it's also a good place to note that while that makes it easier to read, it also makes it more difficult to trust what we're reading. Um, there's a really good chance that a lot of what we read about the Mexica is distorted by the Spanish. One of the issues with this historical record that the Spanish write down is that they are the ones, the Spaniards are the ones that are recording the Aztec history. Uh, and so for this reason, we have to keep in mind that when this is happening, the Spanish, they have an agenda, right? They are empire building. They're making sure that the Aztec are subservient to them and they want to and there's, they want to make sure that the stories that they write down support the idea of the Spanish arriving and kind of taking over the empire. So that's something we have to keep in mind. In fact, for a long time in the 20th century, historians basically said, you know what, let's shy away from reading the Nahuatl, those texts that the Spanish recorded, because this bias is just too much, right? So they kind of threw it all out and said, well, they didn't throw it off, but you know what I mean? They, they, just, they just kind of didn't access it as much for certain purposes because they didn't want to seem colonial or, you know, you know, whatever, Eurocentric. Um, lately, and I think thankfully, a lot of scholars have been revisiting the text, the original text, and they've been doing the, the, the work of historians to actually mine out the valuable stuff that is actually mixed in with the stereotypes and the bias um, written down by the Spanish. Because for sure, their Spaniards are recording good stuff and they might be sprinkling in or mixing in their own bias. So that's something that we're just continuing to figure out. All right, so again, this is going to be important in later episodes. We'll go into more detail, but I just wanted to make sure that I made that point before we start actually talking about Aztec culture. In fact, everything that you read or hear about Mesoamerican cultures, you have to take with a grain of salt because remember, it's the Spaniards that are writing it down. Actually, I will say this, going back to the Maya again, I feel like this whole episode is not even about the Aztecs, but anyway, going back to the Maya, the fact that we can read Maya hieroglyphs is just that much more valuable because being able to read the Maya language directly, it's untouched by the Spanish because those hieroglyphs were carved in stone in those monoliths, in those uh, giant stelae by the Maya themselves. So they didn't have that outside influence and that's why it's just really, really cool to be able to read it. Okay, so now let's actually get started with the Aztecs. So what are they all about? Who are these people? 
Well, again, so they migrate down. They are the only Mesoamerican civilization so far that we've talked about to actually construct an empire. And when I say empire, I'm talking about a single city that controls a number of other territories outside of it. Um, and then they can kind of control what those cities do. Now, again, the Maya, they did have small, tiny little empires. Um, like cities did war against other cities and they did team up with cities. So they had alliances. But the Aztec take it to the next level. So a lot of the... A lot of the groups that the Aztec come into contact with at first do end up trying to fight them. And it's pretty clear that the Aztec are just able to defeat them in war. Um, there is evidence that shows that the Mexica are a warrior culture, which probably most definitely helped them to defeat these other cultures in central Mexico. Now, the empire itself, it, it has a lot of qualities of other empires that we would recognize around the world. So at the top of the empire, right, you have an emperor or a king. Um, and it seems at first that this king is an absolute monarch. So a monarch, of course, that's a king. An absolute monarch is a fancy way of saying that that king can pretty much do whatever they want, right? There's no one that's going to come up and say, hey, you can't actually do that, king, even though you're a king. Um, in this case, it might seem like the king has full power. But when you read into some of the texts that we have and you kind of see the struggles of King Moctezuma or Montezuma II, um, he's the king when the Spanish arrive. It's kind, of, it's kind of interesting to see the dynamic between the king and the people, the Mexica, because it's almost like the king only serves depending on the people's approval of him. So that's really interesting. It's, it's a form of monarchy. Um, that's not so alien to us, actually. In the, mid in the Middle Ages, the medieval period, you also see in Europe a lot of kings, a lot of um, nobles only really get to serve as long as their subordinates approve of them. Otherwise, there's rebellions, there's insurrections, and all this stuff. So we kind of see a hint of that. I think that might... I, the more I learn about history, the more I realize that may just be, that may just be a function of monarchy that you need the loyalty of the people underneath you in order to kind of make it work, right? So if they're not happy, then you can be king all you want, but it's not going to last. So that's really interesting. I think we see that same thing with the Aztec. We do know for sure the king was generally respected very highly. Um, in many cases, uh, the king's subjects wouldn't even look him in the eye. They would bow down. They wouldn't uh, look in his direction um, out of respect. So there's definitely a class system going on here, and the lower classes, they're not supposed to look at the king. Um, they're not supposed to see him. So that's, very, that's just a very interesting um, account. Uh, again, told by the Spanish, but it's something that we could probably trust. It's a pretty good eyewitness account. All right, so the empire includes dozens of large cities in the surrounding areas of central Mexico, and the Aztecs would rely on these other cities for tribute. So tribute that's basically like a tax or whatever you know they would send um they would send money uh in many cases they would send people also we will get into that it's going to get a little gruesome the aztec are pretty wild when it comes to that kind of stuff so anyway um they send people they send tribute to the capital and so it goes all this wealth comes back to tenochtitlan and that allows the city to grow and expand to impressive sizes 
So the estimation of the size of the capital of Tenochtitlan in 1519, by the way, that is the year that the Spanish arrived. So that's like the peak height of the city. We estimate a population of 200,000 to 400,000 people, which is just absolutely massive for the 1500s. To put that into perspective, like some of the largest European cities at the time were that size. Paris, which is a massive European city in Western Europe, in the in 1500 has just barely over 200,000 people. So Tenochtitlan is literally larger than Paris. Constantinople, which at the time I believe is the largest European city, um, we're talking 400,000. So Tenochtitlan and Constantinople in the 1500 are the basically the same size as far as population goes, which is just like that really breaks my brain a lot because I am such a Roman guy. Like I love Roman history and I study it so much. And so I think I have just such a great understanding of that. And when I apply it then to Mesoamerica, it really does just, it, it puts it in perspective because a lot of people don't realize just how many people were there in America 500 years ago. There are a lot of similarities between the Aztec and the Maya. And I wanted to kind of spend some time kind of connecting a lot of these similarities before we maybe go into the differences. So across Mesoamerica, you get this continuity of similar themes, um, like, for example, pyramids, right? We, we talked about how the Olmec were the first to really build pyramids. At Teotihuacan, they have the largest pyramids, and then the Maya continue it, right? They build their own pyramids. The Aztec inherit pyramids from the cultures that they conquer, but they also build their own. They, they take the pyramids that were there and they improve upon them. So the Aztec you are using pyramids and that's definitely a similarity, right? There's, there's continuation of the use of pyramids. What the Aztecs use the pyramids for is a little bit different. Um, we're going to talk about human sacrifice next episode because there's a, there's a lot to unpack there because if there's any civilization that supposedly did human sacrifice, the Aztec took it to the extreme. And so I really want to spend some time unpacking that and kind of diving more deeper. But the pyramids, as far as we know, the Aztec actually performed the sacrifice on the pyramid. That is very different from the Maya. Um, the Maya would not do sacrifices on the pyramid. That is, that's a misunderstanding um, by a lot of people who often just get the Maya and the Aztec confused, right? They just think maybe they're the same or they don't really know the difference and they, or they assume they're, you know, just doing things the same way. So that's a big difference. Um, also the Aztec calendar system, it's very similar to the Maya system. A lot of the Aztec religion is very similar to the Maya religion. In many cases, the gods are almost the same, or at least conceptually the same. They just have Nahuatl names instead of Mayan names. So we're going to see a lot of that in future episodes. Again, I'm going to do a whole episode just on Mesoamerican religion because there's so much continuity there. And I think I've mentioned that before. I mentioned uh, last week the ball game that the Maya played, right? That's another thing that's not just unique to the Maya. It goes all the way back to, we think, the Olmec. 
Um, but we see ball courts in also the Aztec Empire. So the the Aztec are playing this game, and the Spanish actually get to see the Spanish record what the game is played like by the Aztecs. Um, it seems like there may be different rules depending on where you are, and also the courts are designed slightly differently. Some of the walls may be steeper, some of the walls are a little less steep, um, which definitely changes the difficulty of the game. So it's interesting to see that that continuity of the sport is also continuing. Another thing that we have not mentioned yet, which I'm kind of kicking myself for not mentioning yet, is corn. Maize. I mean, corn is the crop in the Americas. Corn is so important. It's crucial. The farming, the ability to uh, to use agriculture and these unique techniques that we will talk about, the chinampas, uh, that's unique to the Aztecs. The Maya were not doing this. But they just mass produce corn um, in, an, in a way that can sustain those giant populations that we talked about, right? 400,000 people living in Tenochtitlan. Even even 2,000 years ago at Teotihuacan, we talked about 100 to 200,000 people. And so corn is not a new thing to the Aztecs. It, it goes all the way back to the Olmec. And so this, and, and earlier actually, we believe the earliest corn is, is, really, is really cultivated around 5000 BC. So this is nothing new, but it is unique to America. There is no corn in the old world, meaning Europe, Africa, Asia. Corn is native to America. So that's very cool. There's a lot of other things that are native to America. Um, it's one of those things where we usually notice what's native to America when we start to compare American societies to the old world societies. And we get kind of um, actually what we call the Colombian exchange, right? So the exchange of these two worlds, they start sending goods back and forth. Um, and then we and then we really start to keep tabs and like, oh, wait, corn is from America. There was no corn in the old world, right? Um, or vice versa, um, you know, things that, that the new world did not have that the Europeans are bringing over, like, of course, guns and, uh, and metal too, um, or at least the, the knowledge of how to um, use metal. Um, as, as I just mentioned, the Mesoamericans, they don't ever really use metal, um, even in their weapons. Uh, I mentioned they're using obsidian, they're using um, stone, they're using different minerals like that. They're also using wood, um, you know, in their handles and in their weapons. But they're not really able to harness the metals um, like the way the Europeans were. Um, so that is definitely a slight, uh, a, a, a big difference. There's a lot more differences. I don't want to spend this whole time going over differences. Um, I think I will be doing that once we once we actually talk about the whole Spanish entrance into America, we're going to do that more. But for this, I really want to just focus on the Aztec. So I'm going to cut this here because um, this is going to be maybe even a three-part uh, series on just the Aztecs. It's going to take a couple weeks to go through. Um, but once we finish with the Aztec, I do want to pause. We'll do the episode on the um, Mesoamerican religion. So we'll kind of just do a big brushstroke with that to see the comparisons and the continuity. And then we will finally discuss the arrival of the Spanish. I may also, I mean, this is something else that I, that I wanted to run by you guys as an audience. 
Um, there's a lot of different directions we can go with this podcast. Um, and in fact, when I teach this, there's a lot of different directions I go in my class. In some ways, I could take the approach, okay, let's just keep going with Mexico, right? We'll go with the first contact between the Europeans and the Mesoamericans. We'll go through the Spanish Empire, and then we'll go through the colonial period, into the revolutions, into, you know, now now we have the 1800s of Mexico, 1900s, and then the, the modern age. And that would just be a regional exploration, right, of Central America. But if you're going based on theme, if we really are doing a pre-Columbian um, experience, then there's a lot more than just Mesoamerica. You also have to consider there's an entire continent of South America that we haven't touched yet. Um, there's also the Caribbean, which has its own cultures, um, which are in many ways very different from the mainland of Mesoamerica. So, I mean, we have cultures there we have to discuss. And then, of course, we have the groups in North America, right? Um, up in what becomes the United States um, and also in Canada. So there's a lot of, just, just a lot of different groups. There's there's hundreds of groups that we could focus on uh, if we're really going to do pre-Columbia. So I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Should we continue with Spain's um, arrival? Should we go into colonialism? Maybe, maybe, maybe we should kind of do both, like maybe talk about the Spanish arrival with the fall of Tenochtitlan. And then from there, perhaps we could go backwards and maybe talk about the South American and the um, Caribbean places. So something to think about. I'm definitely interested in your comments. Um, leave a comment. Leave a comment and, and give your suggestions because uh, I am completely open to this. Uh, one way or the other, we're going to do all of it. It's just the order, I guess, that we go in, um, you know, for theme-wise. Thank you for joining us as we journey through Mesoamerica. Next week, we'll continue the discussion on the Mexica, and we'll discuss their obsession with human sacrifice. You won't want to miss this one, so be sure to subscribe to our channel to get alerts on when our episodes come out. Until next time, I'm your host, Sean, and remember, it's okay to be stuck in the past.